Thanks for listening to the Get Over Yourself podcast, brought to you by Carol Fit Stationary Bike Program 8-Minute Workouts to Get Super Fit, Perfect Keto, the cleanest, highest-potency ketone supplements, MOFO, Male Optimization Formula with Organs to Boost Testosterone, Let's Get Checked, At-Home Testing Kits, try LGC.com, Almost Heaven, Beautiful Compact Home Use Sauna Kits, Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, The Mind-Blowing Nut Butter Blend, and check out bradkearns.com slash shop my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance. And here we go with the show. If you learn how to process emotions, you, you more quickly and more quickly go from that moment of pain into remembering the love into remembering the gratitude. If a woman does not have her estrogen levels, she will not orgasm. She cannot fall in love. She will have high stress levels. If a man doesn't have testosterone levels, he will not have an erection. He will not have good moods. And then you go deeper into the knowledge of hormones. You go counter to what everybody thought about hormones, which is that anger in a man is actually a symptom of low testosterone and high estrogen. We know that what men need most is testosterone, right? And that's success. And what women need most is respect and feel like you care, someone doing something for her. Whenever she can depend on someone, estrogen goes up. When a woman can ask for help and anticipate getting it, always her estrogen goes up. When a man has a job to do and he anticipates success, his testosterone goes up. Hey folks, I have discovered a bloody awesome new workout program that gets you results in eight minutes. Yes, an eight minute workout and don't laugh because the science supports the assertion that a properly conducted high intensity workout lasting only eight minutes with less than a minute of explosive sprinting effort can deliver more benefits with less downside risk than a pattern of much longer, more depleting cardiovascular workouts. It happens with Carol, my friend Carol. C-A-R-O-L stands for Cardiovascular Optimized Logic. It's an artificial intelligence-powered interactive exercise bicycle that learns to apply the exact resistance you need to get fitter over time. This thing is cool. We're friends. I hit it hard. I get benefits. I get results. Basically, what you do is you go into the program on the screen. You warm up for a bit. You hit an all-out 20-second sprint. You recover for a few minutes, you blast another 20-second sprint, see how high you can get your watts up there like the Tour de France guys, you cool down, and you're done. (laughs) The video guy on the Carol Fit AI website is wearing a suit and tie because the workout is too short for you to break a sweat. Yes, it's hip, it's slick, it's high-tech, but it's also legit because the short sprint elicits a cascade of hormones into the bloodstream that prompt fitness breakthroughs and turbocharge fat metabolism around the clock. Indeed, a little goes a long way, and this program lines up perfectly with my promotion of micro-workouts and short-duration sprints to get the maximum fitness benefits without those downside risks of breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury that happen with the traditional approach to fitness and these long, exhausting, depleting workouts. Go check out Carol Fit 
AI. The website has all the research. It'll draw you in, teach you all about it. You get a discount for listening to the show and mentioning Brad when you're ready to get your own bike. And I don't know about you, when you walk through the room and you see that thing sitting there and realize that, no, it's not a sweaty hour of pain and suffering, but an eight-minute commitment to continue to boost your fat metabolism, build your fitness. It draws you in. It's so easy to jump on the bike and go because it's short and it's fun. Carol Fit AI, check it out. Greetings, listeners. I'm so excited to bring to you, for the third time, my main man, Dr. John Gray, author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, Beyond Mars and Venus, and a whole franchise of books that's made him the number one best-selling relationship author of all time. And this show is, yet again, off the charts. You wind up this man, and he goes. He's such a pleasure to connect with. Oh my gosh, you're going to have a ton of amazing insights, life-changing insights in many cases, as I've shared with you before, after my first show with Dr. John Gray proposing to my girl, Mia Moore, the very next day. And as usual, we go off in a lot of different directions, all of them related to being the best that you can be and bringing your relationships to the next level. And especially, I try to get into the topic of when you're in a rift when you've lost some of the magic and you're in a rut and how to heal that because he promised at one of the shows with a throwaway comment that you could heal relationship rifts in a few months, starting with laughing at your own mistakes. And then uh, we trailed off onto other topics from there. But this time I brought that back and said, hey, what do you mean by laughing at your own mistakes? And how do you heal these relationship rifts and bring back the magic and the connection that you once had? And he gave us a step-by-step precise approach to do so. But the show starts out with this wonderful insight about his 80-20 rule for relationships, and that is that you want to have the self-love as a baseline, the self-sufficiency, such that you're 80% happy already, and you're looking to the relationship to add that 20% to make you happier. And if you have that void coming into the relationship, that's going to play out poorly. If you're feeling anxious and emotionally disturbed right now, maybe the quarantine and the changes of life that we've had to endure in 2020's got you edgy, stressed. He has a wonder supplement for you. It's called lithium orotate. Not the same lithium that's the prescription. However, this one is highly effective and has a 500 times less potent dose that doesn't have all the side effects. So he's into the supplement thing. You should look up marsvenus.com and see some of his stuff. Then we talk about how to heal a broken relationship where you've lost hope. And that is really the the demise, the the worst thing that can possibly happen is to lose hope. Remember my show with Mark Manson where he's talking about that in general life as well, that we have to have hope to give our lives purpose and meaning and have a chance at happiness. So when the relationship has lost hope, you're just going through the motions, no bueno, but you can bring it back. And the first thing we want to do is to gain some self-awareness, see our mistakes and our flawed approach clearly. And John says a great way to do that is to read a book together. He recommends his book, of course, one of them, Mars and Venus in the Bedroom, dealing with the topic of uh, rekindling the sexual spark. But if you're just reading Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, or Beyond Mars and Venus together, 
you kind of create this distance between the back and forth and the blame game and where your ego's involved because you're getting criticized. And you can be more open to the idea that maybe you're trying really hard, you're a good person, each of you are good people, but you're just applying a flawed approach. Quick example, women, don't be questioning men. They don't like it. It raises their estrogen, gets them agitated. Men, ask more questions of your woman. Seek to understand. Women want to be understood. It's okay. You be the interrogator. She be the talker. All right. And once you realize that you've tried really hard, but using the wrong skills, then you can gain hope. The relationship has a chance. And then he describes this amazing, uh, complicated exercise where you write a letter to yourself coming from the voice of your partner, right? So you pretend your partner's writing you the letter, and he talks about that in detail. This is a fabulous show. If you're struggling with your relationship right now, or you think it can be a step better, it's going to be a life changer. And for all of us to understand the inner workings of the romantic partnership, this is your guy, John Gray. Here he goes. Boom. One of my favorite podcast guests here for the third time, John Gray. Thank you so much. A real pleasure, a real pleasure. Tell me about your Facebook Live efforts. You're going on there all the time, huh? Yeah, every day I go on at uh, Pacific time, 10 o'clock. I do uh, like about a 20-minute little talk and then question answers with all my comments from people for about an hour after that. It's really fun for me. You're just a powerhouse, man. How do you, uh, how do you keep it up? Uh, it gives me life force energy. On Mondays, I teach meditation. Tuesdays, I teach relationships. Wednesdays, I teach healing the heart. Thursdays, I teach success, making your dreams come true. And Fridays, I teach sex and single life and romance and all that. Uh, you mean, is this on, on Facebook every, every time? Yeah, yeah. I, That's the topic. There's a topic for each day, every week for six weeks. I'll do it. And then I'll start Fantastic. again. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. And the, the uh, engagement, how does it go over? How are people doing these days? Well, we're just starting, uh, you know, but we're up to a thousand. So that's fun. Uh, and it's it just, it's building every day. You know, people, I really have been kind of out of commission for two years. My, uh, my wife died two years ago and really I was broken. I just uh, had to go through this grieving process and I, I, I'm greatly through it now. You know, the, the, I'm able to see when you go through grief, you lose someone, you feel pain when you see memories of them or you see pictures of them. And many people will avoid that. I do just the opposite. I increase it, allow it to go around, to trigger me to then look at what are the emotions that go with that. And uh, in the beginning stages of grief, it's uh, for me uh, and for many people, you, you reflect back on everything that you could have been better. You know, that's the whole thing. It's I, I could have been a better husband then. I could have handled that differently. I could have said that differently. And literally for a year, every night I woke, I couldn't sleep at night. And I remember times when I could have been better. I could have been better. And and there's this part of me just longs to act out, learn from that wisdom. I mean, I've learned so much in reflecting, you know, re- all my ideas of Minute from Mars, for example, are due to reflections after we had some upset. We didn't have an easy relationship in the beginning. You know, we overcame these challenges that I talk about. And, uh, but we did. But now I've overcome them even more. It all comes back again. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Okay. So it's, uh, it's really very, very nice. Uh, I've been to the healing process many times. I thought it was like a nine month process. You know, my brother committed suicide. 
My mother died in an accident. My father died by murder. Uh, somebody robbed him and left him in the trunk of his car. Uh, it was, you know, I've had some rough things. Uh, a brother that died in a car accident uh, head on when somebody was passing in his lane. So uh, big shocks, big, big, uh, you know, when Bonnie and I got married, it's like we went to a funeral every year. <laughs> so, oh, mercy. you know, we, we really went through it and um, I got good at it. So I thought I was pretty good at it, but boy, it threw me for a loop. It's two years and I still feel some pain. But the thing about it is that if you learn how to process emotions, you, you more quickly and more quickly go from that moment of pain into remembering the love and remembering the gratitude. And literally I can see my brain just go to a different part of the brain, which is happy and fulfilled with her. Every time I start to feel the pain that I also, my brain just goes right over to all the wonderful times we had together and feeling grateful for that. And, you know, this is a, a science of grieving that um, people historically didn't know. And still today, without the knowledge of how to do it, people don't know what they would do is they give you 12 days, you know, some cultures, 12 days to grieve and then, then don't think about it, you know, ignore it. Uh, don't entertain it. But what happens if you embrace it and just as it comes up, don't encourage it, but when it comes up, you process it, you feel it and you, you learn from it. You give words to the emotions. Uh, then you finally get to the place where you realize that 90% of the pain you're feeling is an accumulation of pain from childhood. You know, for, for me, now I'm able to very clearly see when the pain is there, I can easily link it back to one of my big traumatic moments was at uh, like six years old, somewhere around there. I was, a, I was lost. I got lost for a week from my mother and didn't know if I'd ever see her again or my family. And that was very traumatic to a child. And a week? A week, yeah, seven days uh, with strangers. Boy, today if the kid gets lost for 90 minutes, it's a tragedy. John <laughs> anyway. Gray was out there for a week, people. Come on. <laughs> anyway, well, you know, uh, when I was young, when I started teaching, I started teaching at 19 years old, Transcendental Meditation. I was the youngest TM teacher. And I learned my stuff. I learned my lecture I gave. I'm a good meditator. But I had massive anxiety before giving a talk, you know, my like butterflies in my stomach to nth degree where I even fainted my first talk. My knees shook and I fell on the ground. <laughs> People thought I was dead. Uh, that's how much anxiety I had. And that anxiety, when I finally got rid of all anxiety in my life, was finding the root cause of that. And it was that abandonment experience. Okay, so I was able to relive that in therapy. And then it all went away. That It's like a part of me was still frozen as that child who felt powerless in life. Because when you're cut off from your parents, it's a trauma because you feel like I don't have any power. And that creates fear and anxiety, the unknown. And I was able to heal that. And when I did learn emotional processing, uh, I haven't had anxiety since I did that, since I learned the, did the healing. I did the healing when I was in my 30s, uh, when I learned about emotional processing. Uh, meditation, ironically, didn't solve that problem for me. Meditation's great. I'm good at meditating. But what happens is you still have these emotional issues. You know, some people just are chronically like depressed. You know, they're just not happy. You can look in their brains and you can see that blood flows to the, to the right side of the prefrontal cortex, which makes them pessimists. Everything is, they always have a bias towards negativity. Uh, their brain just always goes to what's the worst, what's the worst of person, what's the worst that can happen. And then they can go into the emotions of the past, accumulate as opposed to a bias on the left side of the brain, you have prefrontal cortex, you have a bias towards positivity. 
And, you know, some people are there, you know, they're happier people, they're set point when they're happy and fulfilled, it just stays with them all the time. And what's interesting about this grieving I've been going through, my set point for happiness has now jumped massively uh, since two years of processing my wife's death. Uh, I mean, I just nature is strikingly beautiful for me, much more so than before. Uh, you know, what's interesting is I used to say to Bonnie that uh, before I met her, I feel like my life was black and white. I didn't really see the color, you know, women often will see uh, more colors. They actually do see more colors, but we would go on walks and she'd see flowers and she'd see trees and she'd see her garden. She'd be really happy looking at those things and the children, the way things she would say about the kids, it would just open my heart to see the world through her eyes. It's kind of like what happens when uh, we're, we're, we grow up as an adults we love to be with little children because we get to see the world through their eyes. Those are really a part of us that's still like a little child inside. And I'm, I'm kind of forming this idea right now as I'm talking to you, because I've been wondering why am I like so enamored by trees? It's suddenly these trees, they all seem like cathedrals to me. I, I live in a really beautiful place where they have redwood trees. They're really tall. But I, you know, I said, okay, when I first saw them, it was great, but that's about it. And, but my wife was massively enamored by those. And as I've been processing, it's literally like she's inside of me now because I just, well, I, today I spent you know, an hour just walking through the forest, looking at trees. It was just the most amazing thing. Never before have I had that experience. And yet that was like my wife's experience. So, you know, when we love someone, it's because they have qualities that are buried deep in ourselves. And by all this grieving and letting her go on the outside, I found her on the inside as, as bizarre as that might sound to some people. But, uh, you know, my whole thing that I've talked to you about as men and women, we both have a male and a female side. And, you know, for men, it's testosterone. For When you're on your male side, your testosterone literally is about 30 times higher than a woman's. Mm. And if you're on your female side, a woman typically has 20, 10 to 20 times more estrogen than a man. If a woman is unhappy, her estrogen levels are very low like a man's. And if a man is angry or depressed or stressed, his estrogen levels become like a woman and his testosterone levels go down. It's very interesting, isn't it? Well, that's the centerpiece, the, the starting point for getting a fighting chance at relationship success. And I love how you brought that out. I mean, you've been writing for a long time, dating back to the first book in the 90s. Uh, but this beyond Mars and Venus, where you throw in that relate the the hormonal underpinnings, was a, a great revelation for me. Because I don't know if this is uh, quoting from you or I, I pulled this out, but it's like if you don't have those hormones optimized, why even start working on relationship skills? Because you're if you're an angry, stressed man with low testosterone, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a jerk no matter what, even if you've read the book ten times. <laughs> nicely said. Nicely said. You know, it's, it's really, you know, it's, a, it's like a cliche old, old understanding. You can't love somebody else till you love yourself. Uh, but that's kind of an abstract concept of does loving yourself mean I look in the mirror and I go, hey, I got great muscles. <laughs> it, it means a lot more than that. It means having a sense of self-sufficiency so that when our partner is not able to be like a, the perfect, beautiful person that day because they're in a bad mood, it doesn't shake us to our core. You basically, there's a there's a solidity to I have well-being and my partner can make me happier, but they don't have the power to bring me down. Now, having said that, that's the ideal. 
because I, I, I have a life that's not dependent on her. But my thing is the 80-20 rule, which is 80% of my happiness comes not dependent on my partner. It, 20% comes from them and, and only to take me happier. My partner can take me to happier, but they can't make me happy. Is I have to be have lots of different activities in my life that make me happy. And, you know, here's the interesting thought. You know, I I like to flesh these things out. What does it mean to be 80% happy? Well, I get up in the morning. Sometimes I'm tired. I don't really want to get up, but I cope with that. I don't blame anybody for that. I go, okay, I'm going to stretch. I'll take a shower and I feel good. You see what I just did is I went through something I didn't like and I solved the problem, not blaming anybody. Then I go and get in my car and I'm in a traffic jam. And basically I go, okay, I'm late. And I have to say to myself, all right, I'll get there on time. It's going to be okay. And then I calm down again. And then I get to the airport and then there's a big line or something. And, and, and I'm waiting there and I say, oh, I have to wait in this line. And that's, what's the big deal? Where else are you going to go? You got plenty of time. You're going to get on the plane. So I'm giving examples here. We go through this all the time. We're constantly dealing with stress and solving that problem without blaming somebody. And sometimes Mm -hmm. even when we do blame somebody, we'll come back and go, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. So we're constantly coming back to finding our happiness on our own. Then suddenly we get in a relationship, we start blaming our partner. And the tendency to blame your partner will become less if you found that set point and you actually were able to come back to happiness as opposed to coming home going, the world's awful, people are awful, they're no good. Then your your set point is much lower. It's very hard for somebody to make you happy. Maybe a little bit. And the newness, there's a little trick to this is that when the relationship is new, just the fact that there's newness to it will stimulate the pleasure hormone in the brain. Dopamine levels go up. But then when the newness goes away, it's really up to you to have your set point up so your partner doesn't have to do a lot or be perfect to bring you to a higher level. Or ideally, before you start even engaging, before you you sign up for the app, uh, you have a good 80% baseline going where you have some resiliency, I suppose if you don't have that, then you have such a high risk because you're, you're, you're pouring your heart and your emotions out there into a relationship. And so you're really fragile and vulnerable anyway. And then if you, if you yeah. don't have that 80% locked in, oh my gosh, your day could get ruined by a simple uh, wayward comment or a minor argument. You know, you hit it right on the nail. If we could all just sort of stand back and analyze ourselves and realize that we can let our partner make one comment and it can ruin our day. Uh, and I, I want to throw in a little thing, you know, in my, at my website, marsvenus.com, I do have a whole section on wellness and I recommend different supplements, but there's uh, one supplement and I think it's relevant because people are in COVID right now and it's really hard to get your 80% away mm. from your partner. Uh, so you feel a lot of stress. What happens in the brain when our hormones are out, when we're stressed, our hormones go out of balance. Also, the brain goes out of balance. And that one little phrase your partner says, your brain will start to loop on that. It just keeps going back to it. You know, you start to feel, I want to be kind and loving. And boom, you remember they said that or they did that or that happened. And it just keeps looping and looping and looping. And what I have found in the last 25 years, and I've, you know, been promoting this idea I'm about to share, there's a mineral. Uh, which will stop that looping quite a bit. And it's, it's miraculous. You know, here I am with all my little in, internal mindsets to not loop. But boy, Bonnie could say one thing. <laughs> she could actually look at me a certain way. She would just say, you know, you forgot to turn out the light again. 
and just look at me like I'm this failure. <laughs> and, and ironically, men are more affected by a woman's negative reaction if it's a little thing he did wrong rather than some big thing. You know, when I was two hours late for dinner, she's upset with me. I can understand it. That makes sense. I was mm. a bad boy. Okay, I'm so sorry. The dinner was ruined. I'm bad. And then let it go. But if they get upset over something little, that really triggers us to, to go into looping. And the same thing with women is if we do something little or we don't do something little that, that they're expecting us to do or we say something, they'll loop on that as well. So the mineral... And, and this is something you can't buy in health food stores. Uh, and, and there's no knowledge of this because there's no profit in it. Absolutely no profit. This is the cheapest supplement somebody could buy, and it's called lithium orotate. Uh, lithium is what they give to bipolar people when their moods are extreme, but they don't have, a, they don't have a, uh, a good way of delivering it. They just take it right out of the ground, and it's called lithium carbonate. And lithium carbonate will stop the looping, but it's 500 times the dose of lithium that you need because it doesn't get into the brain. It's a salt. So imagine taking 500 times the dose of salt, there's going to be side effects. So literally we've gone away from giving people lithium carbonate because of the side effects to make it effective. There'd have to be side effects. So you can't like buy it easily, whatever. And in some countries it's illegal because they can't discern the difference between lithium 500 times the dose and lithium in little tiny doses. And that's all you need is a little tiny dose, but you've got to get it into the brain. And so a German doctor figured out that if you take a substance in mother's milk, lauritic acid, and you bind it with lithium, you take a tiny bit and it will go right into your brain and your brain stops looping. It's amazing. Also helps with headaches as well. But it is, it's the mineral that helps to regulate the production of dopamine and serotonin in the brain. Right. Uh, you take lithium orotate, you only do like four and a half milligrams. That's a tiny, tiny little bit, as opposed to a huge amount that would cause uh, damage to your thyroid. And so then your metabolism slows down and people feel sluggish, but they're not depressed and they're not bipolar. The bipolar is just dysregulation between dopamine and serotonin in the brain. So if you regulate the right balance of those things, you can be relaxed and motivated and pleasuring, you know, motivated, which is pleasure in the brain. Oh, I will get something if I go there and feeling relaxed that everything's okay. Now that's your ideal state of restful alertness of motivation from a place of happiness rather than motivation from a place of fear. So when we can have that nice balance of dopamine and serotonin, that's also what happens at the time of climax. Okay. We go into, you know, that's really arousal when it comes to sexual arousals. We're in that flow state, that flow state. I'm pleased to present B-Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality, all natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners. 
especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. So striving to keep that dopamine and serotonin balanced with, for example, good relationship skills where you don't uh, start arguing and complaining as a male and messing with your hormone balance. Yeah, well, what we, what they what the research shows is that your the the balance of brain chemicals in your brain affects your hormones, but your hormones affect your brain chemistry. So they go they go hand in hand. And I wrote a book back in nineteen uh, in two thousand, uh, actually called the Mars and Venus Diet and Exercise Solution. It was talking about how how you can uh, you don't have to worry about diet and exercise. You can be healthy if you just balance your brain chemistry. So it should have been optimal brain function, the name of the book. But anyway, having said that, I talked about all of the brain differences between men and women. And then I got blowback from that book because all of these universities are saying there's massive brain differences between men and women, but there's some universities that are saying there's no difference. Okay. It's just, you know, we all, you, it's just how you look at it. Okay. And I can go into long description of, of bulletproof examples of real differences between men and women in the brain, but they started coming out with this phrase. Oh, that's just, Junk science, junk science. People can just say that. Oh, that's junk. Oh, that's fake news. You know, well, that's junk. <laughs> and and researchers were actually doing that. So you got some of the most reputable schools saying there's major differences, and other ones that were saying no, they're not significant. So after that book, I decided to find another way that nobody can disagree. You can't say that hormone understanding is junk hormone knowledge. We all know it's absolutely true. You can't deny it. It's simple hormone tests. It's now common knowledge. You look on a test. If a woman does not have her estrogen levels, she will not orgasm. She cannot fall in love. She will have high stress levels. If a man doesn't have testosterone levels, he will not have an erection. He will not have good moods. And then you go deeper into the knowledge of hormones. You, you go counter to what everybody thought about hormones, which is that anger in a man is actually a symptom of low testosterone and high estrogen aggression, which we always think, oh, men, they have super high testosterone levels. So they're, they're really aggressive. And so they thought, oh, that's what caused it. But actually, it's when, when you have a lot of testosterone and you feel threatened and it, your testosterone turns into estrogen, there's actually a shift in that the regulation of estrogen function increases, testosterone goes down. Uh, aromatase. The aromatase. Kicks yes. in. And, oh, yeah. There's aromatase and there's also... Uh, there's a thing about upregulation and downregulation of receptor sites. So the same thing happens as your estrogen receptor sites upregulate and your testosterone receptor sites downregulate. So you could actually have testosterone in some cases, but it's been downregulated and your estrogen levels are upregulated. 
or it can also be your estrogen levels are high. You know, men who take a lot of testosterone, they have to be careful because they get man boobs. Because you get too much testosterone in your bloodstream, your body will aromatase it into estrogen. Mm. Then they have road rage, you know, the whole phenomenon is you got to watch it. You get this huge anger thing happening if your testosterone, and here's the thinking, too much testosterone turns to estrogen, and then you get the road rage. Ah, right. So the the common uh, connection between the the crazy bodybuilder that, uh, you know, uh, smashes into parked cars because his testosterone is too high. It's really that he he took too much artificially and it got converted and he's in a high estrogen, especially with the the mood swings and the instability that we call roid rage. I never I never made that connection. It's actually the um, the, uh, the 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 rise in estrogen. And and, and it's the uh, the actual trigger. First of all, too much testosterone automatically goes into estrogen. But the trigger that makes it go in there is lack of confidence. Ooh. Okay. So it's whenever Ooh, you. Sorry to break it to you, listeners. Ouch! <laughs> lack of confidence is going to cause your testosterone to convert to estrogen. That's the yes. connection. Yes. If Ooh. you feel threatened, if you feel like you're being disrespected, you're being disrespected. You're not getting what you want. But a big key to that is. You know, the whole thing, and if you historically, you look at uh, old-fashioned relationship information is that women were taught you need to respect men because if a man it doesn't feel respected, his testosterone levels turn into estrogen. It's like low self-esteem means you better treat me like I'm a king. If you actually feel high self-esteem, you don't get all bent out of shape if somebody mistreats you like you're not a king. You see, it's, it's all your lack of self-esteem, lack of confidence makes you more needy, more demanding, more controlling. And I do say this for women. It's if ever you are in the presence of an angry man and you feel threatened, the best way is to get out of there. But but you have to say something. And the thing to say is, I think you're right and I'm wrong. If you say to a man, you're right and I'm wrong, his testosterone levels will start to come back up again. But it's not a good attitude to always have to say you're right and I'm wrong when you're not wrong. But it is a protective mechanism. If you, you know, some women are with these really hostile kind of guys sometimes. And what they, what they tend to want to do is ask questions and then she gets plugged in and now they're arguing with each other back and forth. The most important thing is to get out of that room and don't look him in the eyes. Okay. Never look a guy in the eyes when he's angry. You know, we know that as common sense. When you got two big guys who are mad at each other, you point them in a different direction and say, hey, forget it. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> He's an asshole. <laughs> you want to get them looking somewhere else. Literally, eye contact is dangerous if somebody's angry because they'll just get angrier and they wow. lose control. That's a key thing. So women don't look them in the eyes. And that's what women will tend to do because they know that if you want to comfort somebody, you look them in the eyes, but that's wow. when your heart is open. So when your heart is open, you awaken love inside of somebody. But if your heart is closed because you're out of balance, it pushes the other person out of balance. So a woman could, she wants to get out of the room. Sometimes women say to me, how do I get out of the room? He's arguing with me. Well, stop asking him questions. That's the first thing women will tend to do. They try to engage a conversation. Don't ask questions. But whatever he's saying, just pause and go, this isn't the time to win this argument. This is the time for me to get out of the room without triggering him more. Because if you say, oh, you're being mean, you're, you're heartless, you're cruel, you're angry, and that just, that just makes him wrong. So whenever a man feels right, he will calm down. Okay, so huh. that's, why, that's why he's angry. He's lost his confidence. <laughs> you know? it's, it's like somebody asked me today on my Facebook, some guy said, 
what do I do when my wife's on her period? <laughs> Which I'm sure a lot of women didn't want to hear. But the reality is we know that women can become overly emotional when they're on their period. Their hormones are way out of whack at that time. It's a time where they need to rest and relax more. Issues that are not resolved tend to just show up at that time. And so the sign that you don't want to say anything to, to have an argument at these times when a woman, she gives you the, the clues without her knowing it. She'll say, you never do this. Mm. You always do this. I have to do everything. Nobody helps me. So these kind of expressions literally mean her hormones are not in balance, don't have a logical conversation with her at that time. See, it's just not the time to have a logical conversation. Right. You know, if somebody's in a wheelchair, you don't say, if you love me, you'll walk. You say, oh, let me, let me bring you something. Let me help you. Okay. So if a woman is going to use those phrases, and I'm not going to say they do it every time, but it's quite common and we all know that. And so it's very good to know when she's having her period. It's also good to know the five days after her period is over because that's the time when you can have the best sex. That's the time when you can have the biggest impact. That's the time when little things that you do for her will have the biggest impact. You know, because women look for those little things, but particularly in those five days after her period, her body, the estrogen levels start to double. And as they start to double, that means her need for love increases, her sensitivity and her need for love from you. And during her period, she needs safety. She needs, just doesn't need to, she doesn't necessarily need you at all. She just doesn't need you to make it worse. Okay, that's the thing is that we, we trigger them at that time, expecting them to be the way they were at another time. Uh, or they have some emotional reaction to something and we make them wrong for it. We literally can drive her crazy. And that is true. I mean, guys do this all the time. They don't know they do it. In more dysfunctional relationships. I was on a cruise one time and this woman beat up her husband and they had to take her off the cruise. Okay. So, so this is a woman behaving badly. I mean, she was hitting him and doing all this stuff and calling him names and everybody was like, whoa. And of course he's a guy who's going, whoa, crazy woman, crazy woman. But the reality, if you could have seen what built up to that, mm. it was his attitude, crazy woman, bitchy woman, no good woman, that that causes her to go further out of balance that she loses her logical side of her because we can do that to each other, just as women can push a man into the violent part of him. You know, we always look at violent men as, as you know, oh, they're, they're, they're always 100% responsible. They are for their behavior. But prior to that, there was an argument where a woman was asking lots of questions and engaging him. And that's the mistake. If women just understood men are not like women. If a woman is upset and I engage her, if I can, without getting angry, and I can ask her questions, getting her to talk more will raise her estrogen. That will help calm her down. But getting a man to talk at a time when he's starting to feel anger or negative emotion, getting him to talk, he will become more emotional. And if the emotion is anger, he will become aggressive. And he will say things that he doesn't really mean. And then, then the big thing that happens at that point, I want to say this because this is happening a lot right now with COVID because people are not getting their needs met 80% not from their partner. So they're on edge. They're annoyed. They're irritated. They feel bugged. The problems that would normally be nothing are bigger. And so at that time, they engage in arguments. And then in arguments, what happens is we become somebody that we're not. Okay? So when you're out of balance, you're not you. You're somebody else. Okay, You 
become the opposite of who you really are. And then people say, oh, he showed me his true colors. And then they freeze on that and think that's who their partner is. That's who their partner becomes when they're not their true self. And that's what we have to recognize is that people are much better than we think if we hold them to how they behave when they're out of balance. And that's what's happening right now is that people are being pushed to the test for some. Some people are thriving if they have enough money and so they're not freaked out about the money thing right now. And they have good communication skills. They're actually having a great time. They're growing closer in love, but so many people are not. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of statistics, although I've heard the violence levels going way up. And I've also, uh, I know in China, in Wuhan, after they first came out of quarantine, divorces went from the average normally there was 12 a week to 300 a week. Oh, and there's wow. still divorces everywhere because people are remembering those 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 arguments and those fights and and they're sort of paralyzed by that. There's PTSD from that where they're holding on to the anxiety. You know, if, if you're if you're someone and someone's driving you in a car and you feel very safe because you've never been in an accident, and then that driver does something irresponsible by mistake and you get an accident, then now whenever you're in the car with them, what are you gonna do? You're gonna be afraid they're gonna do that again. And so your brain becomes hyper vigilant to go, oh, is he doing this now? Is he doing it right now? Is he doing it right now? Is he doing that hypervigilance is PTSD. And uh -huh. so once you have one big fight, you've got now this hypervigilance, which takes a while to heal, but only by feeling that you can express your feelings about it and be heard. Then you can come back into a balanced place. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you spoke about this in the last show and I maybe want to pick up this because uh, we were talking about the accumulation of these blocks in the relationship, like repeated arguments, the patterns are playing out, the woman's questioning the man and getting him more agitated. The man is doing his thing with the woman and, and not keeping his cool. And so let's say that we have these blocks built up. Uh, there's a couple that's been together for a while. The passion is gone. The sex life is suffering. Uh, and you said you could heal these in a few months. That's a John Gray quote, which is super uh, positive and optimistic. I love it. Uh, and one thing you mentioned was um, uh, laughing at your mistakes was one of the strategies. And then I think you were going to talk some more in a future show. So if we're, if we're maybe referencing a state of, of being blocked in the relationship and continually seeing someone who's not the best they can be, I like that better than saying this is your true self. No, it's just me at my worst kind of thing. Right. Um, what are some steps that a couple can take to healing besides listening to the show together, of course? Well, reading books together on relationships is a good thing. Just to know that is a good thing. Uh, reading my, uh, once a relationship gets better, I did write a book for this one, which was called Mars, Venus in the Bedroom. Just simply reading out loud my book, Mars, Venus in the Bedroom, has caused amazing, great sex for couples. Because once you've stopped having sex, you've got to sort of delicately get warmed up back into that place. It's a mm. big jump. Once you're out of the, you know, use it or lose it. And once you've lost it, it's hard to make that transition back. It could be for both or it could be for one partner, hard to make it back. Why also, is that, John? Sex is so difficult because it's controlled by the unconscious mind. We don't have a lot of control over our erections. Women don't have a lot of control over their lubrication. Okay, so it's just we have little control, which is also why we're so sensitive about uh, rejection in sex. 
why we don't like to be told what to do in sex. We don't want to be told what we did wrong in sex. You know, if it's, we're just more, we have no control over it. So, and the last thing, when you make love, you're being extremely vulnerable. You're giving someone the power to make you happy. And if they don't make you happy, then they have the power to make you feel really awful. So a lot of fear around sex and it's no control. And so reading, what happens when people read Mars, Venus in the bedroom together, this is what I've been told, is they can gently move into it because I say things in that book and you can see your partner smile and they go, oh, that's good. As opposed to her saying, yeah, give me 18 minutes of clitoral stimulation and I might be able to have an orgasm tonight. You know, <laughs> It doesn't happen in two minutes like a guy. <laughs> uh, so the book is saying that. So it's not her telling him how to have sex because part of our manliness is that we should know. And, and we have no education in it and we don't have a woman's body. And we don't realize that for women, sex is totally different experience than for men. Uh, it's, it's inside thing. We go, we're eating out and they're inviting a guest in. So, you know, you could on the fly, you can go eat out in a restaurant, but if you can have somebody come eat at your house, you know, you want to have it clean. You got you to gotta wash up. You got to smell nice. You, they're going to come inside, you know, you, what are they going to leave? You know, all that stuff, you know, what does it mean? And, and how are their attitudes going to affect me? A woman has no defenses. When you open up, you're letting somebody have power over you. Uh, and in the beginning, we like that because we think this person loves us so much. So we're letting them have power over us. But as soon as they start behaving in a way where we don't like they're having power over us, like saying we're not good enough, complaining about us, ignoring us and whatever, then we, we have to push away from that. So how to come back to the place where you can read that book. Uh, here, here's a really great technique. For couples who have alienated themselves, okay, bad arguments and so forth, the key to that is every relationship is based on a feeling of the anticipation that I can get what I need. Okay, that's why you're so excited in the beginning. There's these, I'm hungry and I'm going to the restaurant. Okay, we're going to get the food. I'm going to get the food. So you already feel happy that you're on your way to get the food. And then what happens is we didn't get the food. And so then we stop anticipating getting the food. And one word for that, and not when you, when you, don't get the food and you don't anticipate getting the food, you lose hope you're ever going to get fed. That's the killer in relationships is that we're always going, my God, she's this way. She's always going to be this way. I'll never get what I need. Well, that you're convinced that's who he is. I'll never get what I need. You're not even, uh, you're not even thinking this consciously. It's just, it's just floating in there and deep down, you're not getting your needs met and oh my gosh, losing hope. That's really, um, that's well said. That pretty much characterizes it. And I think the same in life. I mean, that's what Mark Manson's book is all about, um, is, you know, that we need hope to have a purpose in life and, and to have a chance of being happy. So yeah. same with the relationship. Wow. Same, same with relationship. It's like so, so critical. So what happens, and I think this is why men are from Mars, women are from Venus struck a chord, because what reading that book does, and even for one person starting to read that book and then changing and then your partner will become interested if you change based on it. They see the changes. Uh, you never want to push it on anybody. But couples who've read that book together have told me that it just created miracles because or they take a seminar, they're listening to me on YouTube. And by the way, there's a great talk I give. It's my TED talk on YouTube with the red shirt. The other talk I gave, not so good, but the red shirt is a really good one. It's in Oregon, I think, or someplace like that. Uh, 
really, really funny, uh, funny, entertaining. And that's what, how men need to hear it. Men need to hear it. Let's be light about it. Let's have fun with it. You know, because ultimately what it is, is it's, we all make mistakes because we don't understand the opposite sex. See, we're doing our very best. We're loving good people. We do our very best, but because our partners are different from us, it doesn't have the effect we think it should have. So ultimately, it goes over some of the major fundamental mistakes couples make because they don't know better. Now you're off the hook. You don't know better. So it's a, you feel safe saying, yeah, I do that. You know, the whole idea of, you know, I go to my cave. Well, you know, uh, that's normal for guys. And she goes, oh, I always feels like he doesn't love me because of that. And now I can realize I can accept that maybe he does love me even if he goes to his cave. And all this time I've rejected him for that, but I didn't know better. See, people never want to sort of feel guilty. <laughs> they want to go, they want to hold on to the position. Well, he shouldn't do that. He shouldn't do that. But if it be, it's in the context of we just don't know better. And because we don't know, we make these mistakes. So that's the first step is people can, can see their mistakes without having to feel guilty because they see they really don't know better. And that's one. Two, when they can see their mistakes, then they go, well, then I can do this differently. And if I can do it differently, then I'll get a different result. And that's what gives hope is that I've been doing something that made it worse and I can make an easy change. And it is an easy change that I asked to a great extent. It's an easy change because I'm never, you know, my books don't focus on actually you should love more and you should be more forgiving and you should, we know all those things, but I say, Hey, you keep going through the front door, but there's that door doesn't work. There's a side door over here. Now go, go through that door and you go, Oh, I could easily walk through that door. I just didn't know that door existed. So I don't really require people to change a lot. Now I do have books where you can change. Like I overcame anxiety. I have books that help overcome mm. depression. That's self-work. But when it comes to relationship, you want to feel that you can make these changes uh, without feeling guilty because your partner's looking at you like you're guilty. <laughs> If you go to your partner and say, oh, I do the wrong thing, they go, yes, you do the wrong thing. But if you go to your partner and go, you know, I've been doing the wrong thing. I can't believe it. I thought you were like a guy, but really you're a woman and I didn't know it. You can freely admit my mistakes to somebody else because this is the world where we get defensive is when there's another person playing that game. If you're so depressed, can... you can look at, okay, I got to look at myself to get better. If I have anxiety, I got to look at myself. If I, if I have high blood pressure, I can do things for my high blood pressure. We can look at changing ourselves. But now we're talking about a relationship. How do you create change in relationship? And the mindset is because there's somebody else that affects me. I have to change them. And if I have to change me, then I'm somehow wrong. But this allows people to say, hey, I got to change myself. I didn't realize it. And I keep thinking that old way. Now I'm going to take this new way. And there's no shame. There's no guilt. It's all, it's all easy. And it's playful. And it's light. It's, it's kind of like a, a comedy. And, and really, we can look at our problems like a comedy of just missing the boat on these things, as opposed to, oh, so serious. And, you know, he's this way and she's that way. And there's no hope in this whole thing. So my wife's on her period. Then I just basically duck and dodge. You know, I, you know, what do we, we're all, we're guys, we're warriors, learn karate. <laughs> Somebody punches you, just jump. Right. It's yeah, not it's, about you, dude. 
Yeah. Get over yourself. Get, get, get over yourself. Yeah. Um, we, we know not to verbalize that comment. Oh, you must be on your period. But if we can just gain self-knowledge and gain, gain knowledge about our partner, that's why uh, this comes back to your, um, your quip of laughing at your mistakes rather than internalizing them and feeling so bad and, uh, you know, banging your head against the wall. Now you can see that all this good advice I had from my partner, she doesn't really need it. She just wanted me to listen. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Uh, now, that we're going to go to a deeper level of the two-month cure here, okay? So once oh. you, you want to get that basic understanding where both couples or even one person can understand that, at least they're going to be non-defensive. Then the next thing is that person or both can do this if they're both getting the information that, hey, we're doing our best. We just blew it because we weren't doing the right thing and it brought out somebody that's not really me. So the next thing is you write a letter to yourself as if it's the other person writing it. You go to them and you say, because you're the one who'd been studying how we mess up, you know, and because in my book, 
men are from Mars, I say, men, when you uh, try to fix her, she will feel 12 different things. They're all written out there, the 12 different things women will feel. There's all these charts and <laughs> she feels this, she feels this, she feels So it gives you more intuition into what she's probably going through being married to you. So now I'm going to write a letter from her to me and say, you know, honey, I'm reading this book and I'm realizing all these mistakes and I understand how I've hurt you. I've misunderstood you and, and, and really must have caused a lot of anger and frustration in you. So I'm writing this letter. I wrote this letter to myself from you expressing what I imagine your feelings must be towards me and just rip yourself over the coals in this letter. You see, when she goes, oh my gosh, he wrote that as if he's, this is how I feel about him. And there's a format in all my books where I talk about, it's called the feeling letter technique. Mm. And where you start out writing about what makes you angry with your partner, then what hurts or makes you sad about your partner and your relationship and your life and what you're afraid of uh, when it comes to your partner. Things like, you know, I'm afraid you don't love me, afraid I will never get better, afraid of spending my life with you and you don't give me what I need. I'll never get what I need. I'm afraid that I can't be myself with you. You know, these, these are vulnerable things. And I write about those in the books, give you some hints on what you might be feeling. Anger, sadness, fear, and then guilt, what I'm sorry about. And then that's where you really own responsibility. I'm sorry that time on the ship when I yelled at you in front of all those people. I'm sorry with the kids when I made you wrong in front of them and yelled. And the time, I'm sorry, the time I forgot your birthday. And I know that's really important to you. You must have felt like, you know, you were not even that important. I'm sorry that time when I was giving all that attention to the other woman. I didn't do, ignored you completely. I was wrong of me. And don't say, I'm sorry, if you felt. You say, I'm sorry, that must have mm. felt. Okay, that's one of the <laughs> biggest cop-outs when people I'm say- I'm sorry you had such a problem with me flirting with the waitress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm sorry if that upset you. If that upset, <laughs> why are you saying you're sorry? If, it, if you're not getting it, must, it must have upset you so much. And you go overboard in it so they could actually react the other way and say, well, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> you know, let them argue with you. They say, well, I really don't feel that angry with you. I feel more like this. And you, whatever their reaction is, you make it okay for them to have it. What you want to do is just let them know and experience that you're experiencing a new level of awareness of sensitivity to what they must be going through being married to you, being with you. And you you don't just do these, uh, you don't feel loved by me. You must have not felt loved at all when I said this to you and this to you. It would be as if I don't care about you. And so the buzzwords and men are from Mars, and these are those ones, you, you get a whole chapter on this one, is... Uh, and also in Beyond Mars and Venus, it's even elaborated more, but it's the primary emotional needs. I try to categorize things. If I was to constantly express how my wife might be feeling, listening, having living with me, there would be a bottom line where I say, when I, you know, when I didn't do that, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't give you the room to buy the own car you wanted. I was really pushing for this color and you really didn't even know if you wanted that color. Just all these little examples that could have been upset. It must've really sounded like I don't care and I feel ashamed. I feel, you know, afraid. I hurt your feelings. I'm so sorry because you deserve to have what you want. You know, caring, showing that you care is number one for women. Showing that you understand. I understand you must have felt this. I understand you must have been angry. I understand you must have. Not I understand if you, 
that's such a, I'm sorry if I, if I offended you. That is such a weak statement. There's no accountability. I'm sorry. I must have offended you. It must have hurt. It must not felt good. It must have felt like I don't recognize all the things you do. And I realize I haven't seen it. I've been thinking about myself when it comes to men, a really good apologies. I wrote about this in one of my books called Mars Venus on a Date. And I, you know, I wish I'd written book just Mars Venus for romance because it's about everything, but it's on dates, single people, how to hook up. And, and uh, there's a way men can apologize that has big impact to women, bigger than you would think. What I just gave you is to show, apologize places where you weren't caring, where you weren't understanding, giving more understanding now and respect. I didn't respect you when, you know, the Aretha Franklin song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that's the big one for women. Women are one have been living on this planet with little respect. They need respect more than men. We, re, we need respect, of course, but they need it more. And ironically, when you respect someone, you raise their estrogen levels up. When you prioritize their wishes over your own happily, then they go, oh, I feel so loved and so supported. I appreciate you more. And that's, of course, what men need the most is to feel appreciated, to feel accepted, to feel trusted. But right now I'm just doing the caring, understanding, and the respect, a letter that communicates those feelings through the words that you're using. And here's the really, this is like such a power. This is your secret power, men, when you apologize, is you say, you know, I realized that day when I was late for dinner, I was so selfish. Now, you wouldn't normally think of saying that if you're a guy, but women go, oh, wow, he admitted that he was selfish, you know, (laughs) and actually... Guys know we're selfish. What's the big deal? <laughs> it's e- it's actually easy for us to say, generally speaking. And, and yet for women, it's very hard. If they say, oh, I was so selfish, it's a big blow to their estrogen. Mm. Okay, So if you're selfish, it's not a big blow to your testosterone. If I, I'm a failure, it's a blow to your testosterone. But to say, I was so selfish, uh, you can say, also, you can do this. And I, I really overreacted to that situation. I should never, ever have said that. I overreacted. <laughs> Another one is, I'm so, so sorry. When I did this, I, I, was, I must have felt this way to you. I was so insensitive to what you needed. Oh, women love hearing that. And what man cares about saying I was so insensitive? I mean, we're tough guys. What's the big deal? You know? But to them, if they were to say, oh, John, I'm so sorry I said that I was so insensitive, that's a blow to their ego. Not that they couldn't say it, but it's harder to say that, to admit that. Because when you say I was insensitive, you're saying my female side failed. But if you're a man and you say my female side failed, I'm a man. So, you know. <laughs> Count it up as one of my mistakes, okay? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I need help, you know? But hey, if you're in danger, I'm the guy that will be insensitive and go take care of that guy so that he doesn't bother you, you know? They don't fall in love with us because we're sensitive. They fall in love with us because we're insensitive and more sensitive to them, okay? Uh So that's the key, but it's who we are as masculinity. So I was so insensitive. I was so selfish. I completely overreacted. You know, when I realized what I said, it was, and, and that decision I made, I, I was so inconsiderate, inconsiderate of you. See, these score big points with her, and you don't even know that you have that power, and it's so easy to do. So could you say, uh, fake it till you make it here, when the man is having trouble managing his own emotions and dealing with his own ego demands? 
uh, just yeah. to per- just put it into practice, even if you got your fingers crossed a little bit at the start, because you'll grow as a person and get to that point where you really mean it someday. I really believe in fake it till you make it. I'm, I'm oh my gosh! Fan. Listen to this, and, listeners. And, and I, and I believe, quote: "And I believe it ten times more for men than women." Whew. Okay, there's certain things I would tell women to fake it until they make it, but for men, orgasm. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let, let me get to that one. Okay, but you. But for, let me explain it from the man's side first. What happens with men is we are our heart opens. Our heart opens when we are appreciated. See, that's the magic word. Women are always saying they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel appreciated. And they're not getting the appreciation that make them feel really good. But if they don't feel respected first, you can appreciate them to the end of their life and they will never feel appreciated. They can't feel appreciated if they don't feel respected first. Uh, let me give an example of that. And this, was a, this, this is a controversial idea. People still think, you know, don't get this. Because so many women feel, you know, I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel appreciated. But the truth is, hey, you're the woman I married. I go to work every day because I'm with you. (laughs) And even before the problems start, let's just start there. Women will start feeling unappreciated because they don't feel the man sees what her needs are and offers to help. See, she, she registers that, registers that as you don't appreciate me, what I do. But actually... I have to go back to my first awareness with men are from Mars was long before I got married to Bonnie and whatever, which I learned so much with her and an assistant. Her name was Helen and Helen was great. So here we are, we're a team. You know, I'm writing books. I'm writing a book. I teach these seminars. I have a counseling practice. I work eight hours a day listening to women talk about their problems. Okay. So I'm in my little room all day long. She handles the payments, She handles the scheduling. She handles the person has to reschedule. She handles when I'm running late. I also taught seminars. She handled all of the enrollment. She handled getting the hotels. She handled getting the... So this is like having your your right arm that does everything that you can't do while you're sitting in that room. Okay, because I I don't have time to do all that. So she was amazing. And she worked for me, ended up working for me for 10 years till she got a more expensive, more successful job. And she's still a really good friend. But after about three years, she said she wanted to quit. And I said, I said to her, why do you want to quit? And she says, well, you know, I think it's time to move on. I said, well, why? Tell me what, what you're feeling. She said, well, I just don't feel appreciated. Oof. Now, what I just described, is that a man not appreciating her? And when she said, I don't feel appreciated. And I said, well, why don't you, can you help me understand why you don't feel appreciated? She says, well, I, I feel like you don't even know what I do. And I laughed inside myself. I didn't do it outside, but I laughed inside myself because that's why I appreciate you so much is I don't have to know what you do. You do so much. That's that's the biggest gift you can give me is I don't have to have anything to do with you. (laughs) You're doing all of that. And I do all of my side. And the result is there. And I appreciate the result. And I showed my appreciation by never giving her advice, never asking her questions, never getting upset with her if she didn't do it right. I mean, I'm an amazing guy to work with. It's kind of go flow all the time, except I was missing this factor that she needed me to know what she does. And that's it. I just needed to know and to care about how she felt about those things. So I said to her, I said, well, Helen, I hear what you're saying. 
And I realized I don't know what you do. I didn't tell her. And that's why I appreciate you so much. And I said, I, I realized I don't know what you do. Give me a few weeks before you quit in this seat. And then she worked for another seven years for me. Because <laughs> the, the next two weeks, every day when I came in, I said, so what's on the agenda today? And what are you doing with this person? And I'd hear a little bit about what she's doing. Then the next day I would come in. I say, well, how did it go with that hotel? Were you able to make the reservations? And she'd say, oh, no, you know, they turned around. They charged us too much or we didn't get it or something like that. And I still don't know what we're going to do. So she got to complain a little bit about some of the frustrations she had, some of the disappointments she had, and some of her concerns. Those are emotions. And I got her to tell me what she did and a little bit of the angst that goes along with it. And suddenly she felt so appreciated. And, she and says, you, you probably just listened. You didn't, you didn't offer suggestions and no, advice. You just no. listened to that dang hotel that couldn't get your reservation. That's right. And I would just nod my head and say, bummer, you know, that's awful. And what else? You know? And I just, and I would, you get extra points when you actually on your own, you think, how did that go the next day when you called them or something? And, and, and it shows I was thinking about her, that I knew what she was going through. That little extra personal touch. But see, as a man, if we're partners and you're doing right. your job and I'm doing my, well, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you're going yeah. to. I don't need to tell you that, oh, I stayed up all night and it was so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't even want to hear it, man. And, and if I say it, I'm not, if I want to say it, I'll make a joke about it. And I'm not going to wait for you to ask me questions. I'm not going to say, <laughs> hey, you didn't ask me what I'm doing. You know, you know. <laughs> so, so this is the dynamic. So part of respecting is recognizing this is a woman's need. And I needed to honor that and respect it. And men can't give the women the respect because we don't even know what they need. If we really understood it, they would see how much we do respect them. But if they actually get the attention on them, then they will appreciate him and they will no longer have that complaint. He doesn't appreciate me. She's getting so much. So that, and I learned that in my own relationship in the beginning, because Bonnie would say, you know, I just don't feel appreciated by you. And I said, what would it look like if I appreciated you. And she said, well, you'd notice when I'm tired and offer to help. That was it. But I'm over here appreciating the fact that I don't have to help. I get to come home and sit in my cave and I'm, wow, this is amazing. She doesn't ask for anything. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So do you see how the thing is? And so in their mind, they think, oh, if you valued me, you'd be offering help. But actually the reason I value her most is she's self-sufficient and doing it herself and I can relax. So it's a very dis- big disconnect there. So it's learning how to communicate the kind of love a woman needs, even though what she's saying is, I want you to appreciate me. And I remember I even did this test with her. I sat on the phone with my friend Clifford and I started talking about, my wife is amazing. She's making me dinner right now. You know, she never asked me to help. She'll do it for me. And I can ask her for a beer and she'll bring it for me. It's amazing. I can just sit here and relax. I said, honey, would you bring me a beer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I said, it's so cool. I could actually say, oh, I got a kind of neck pain, honey. I got this pain over here. Would you just give me a little massage? She says, sure, I'll be doing that. And then and I, I continue saying things like that. She'll start becoming furious. You think I'm your slave? You think I'm your servant? And I said, don't you get that if you did all those things for me, how I would appreciate you more? Of course I appreciate you. And that my appreciation for all these things you're doing for me, does that make you feel better? No. It makes her feel like she's not being respected, but they don't have that terminology. You see, they don't see it in their mind. They see if you're not doing things for them to help them, that you don't appreciate them. But our experience is we do appreciate them, but not in the way that they want it shown. 
mismatch. I like that word bummer, John. I I remember um, uh, parenting uh, advice that it's a really good word to throw out there a lot when you're establishing consequences and boundaries. Rather than explaining or lecturing, you just say, oh, it's a bummer. You didn't clean the kitchen, so you lost your privileges for the weekend. And you mentioned that with um, just listening to uh, your assistant complaining about the hotel. And you just say bummer and, and nod your head and validate, but without that advice or solutions and corrective action right. that we're so... Bummer, bummer is a good phrase. Also, noises are just good. Oh, uh, really? Huh? What else? <laughs> Help me understand that better. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's awful. Awful. <laughs> John Gray anyway. grunting noises. Learn them all for your Learn relationship all those grunting skills. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so- back to this technique. You, you yeah. want to remember that this is the people who really lost it all and they want to bring it back. One person has to make the change. And then you write, you, you see how you have been making mistakes, okay? Anybody who sits with me for 30 minutes and complains about their partner, I can tell them 50 things they are doing wrong. <laughs> it's never one-sided. So my books help people see their side of things. Then you, you write a letter to your partner as if you're expressing their feelings to you. Then wait, they're angry about, they're sad about, sad or hurt or disappointed, fearful, and uh, feeling, and, and don't do guilt. Don't do their guilt. They should just do anger, sadness, and fear from them. And then have them say what they wish and what they want and what they need. And because see, when she reads that, she's going to go, oh, I didn't realize he knew all this. He's, he has like a whole revelation going on. And then, and then say a few nice, loving things. I love you. I remember when you did this for me. I remember when you, so you remind them in a sort of indirect way. of I remember when we fell in love, we felt so good. Bring in some as if they have love for you too, and write some of those things as well. Then what you do is now you write your response to that. So I wrote a letter from you to me, and now I'm going to respond to that. Oh, the same person's writing the response. Say that again? The same Same person's person's writing the response. I write the letter from my wife. She's so upset with me. Now I'm putting on my psychic head, and I'm saying everything she feels. Then the next thing I do in the letter, and now this is my letter in response to your feelings. I understand you feel this. I understand you feel this. And you just go over it again. Repetition is good here. I understand you're feeling this way. Why wouldn't you feel that way? I'm so sorry. I wish that I had done this. I wish I had read this book and I learned to do that. I wish I could have done this because now I know I can. So you, this is building hope. Apologies build hope that a person learning a lesson. Once you've done that, you say, I wrote these two letters. I'd like you to read them out loud to me. Whew. So they read it out loud. If they won't, you can always read it to them, but it's much more powerful for them to read it out loud. It literally goes through all their resistance and all that truth goes into their body. And and that will be a step. And that will help bring you closer together. And then the next thing is hopefully that they could read my book. You know, they'll see that, oh, this is really good. Let's try reading this book together. Uh, It could be part of your apology. You apologize for this. And what I hope is that we can come back together and together we can make our relationship better. There should be absolutely no blame of them in this letter. Never say, well, you know, I want to learn to be a better listener and I hope you'll be learn to share your feelings without always nagging and complaining, you know. In conclusion. In conclusion. (laughs) Exactly. And you know (laughs) what? So absolutely no blame. They'll see themselves. Trust it. They'll see themselves. And there's, and I hope that, you know, to help me, you'd say, and to help me put this in the practice more, I invite you 
I hope that we can sit together and read this book, which has had such an impact on me where I'm learning so much. And hearing your comments would help me even better. Help. So it's always about help me. I'm wrong. You're not. I'm going to have the problem. You never go at your partner. Give up trying to change them. That's such a relief. You're looking at changing yourself. And that can go either way. And when it comes to transformation, um, it can happen. But until she actually reads my book, not much is going to happen. You got to get her into that book. For men, it's not so important. Women actually have 10 times more power to make a relationship better than a man does. And of course, I just say arbitrarily 10 times. It just means a lot more, a lot more power. And the reason for that is that we men are geared towards train me to be successful. You know, everything in our lives about being a man, and it's changing now more, but for a man, accountability is built into masculinity meaning that if we get a job, we know if we don't perform well, we don't get paid. So we're constantly geared up towards have to be accountable, have to be accountable. Women get married and now they don't have to be accountable. Nobody's going to judge them. Society's not going to judge them on losing their job. They can be anything and they're still, they may not get love, but they're not going to lose the, the marriage because people didn't used to get married. And and there's nobody judging her behavior. Are you loving? Are you not loving? And so forth, except her friends. And she'll always tell her side of the story. So they don't have that built in accountability. <laughs> so, but men do, you can train men. So men are like dogs in a sense where if they, if they're misbehaving, you learn this in dog obedience training. And this is for any women listening and also for men to understand ourselves better is that The way you train a dog, there's two ways to train them. One is intimidation, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. And often that doesn't work. But if you really hit them, they will become lifeless and be obedient. But you kill the spirit. So the new dog training, and this is 20 years ago, new dog training that I took the class, is you want to train your dog with with rewards. You always have treats. These trainers, they always have treats. And they, they never yell. They never raise their voice because anytime you raise your voice, you're out of control. You just gave power to that other, they gave power to the dog over you. You're, you have the power. So the way you train the dog is you have treats. The dog's jumping up on you. You don't react. You just ignore the dog and turn around and then turn around with a treat and say, sit. And the dog sits and you give them a treat. And then next time they see you, they jump up and down turn around. You just don't give attention. Don't give energy to negative behavior, Mm. but instead ignore it and then give energy to positive behavior. And you have a set of positive behaviors and you even have training zones. Okay. You, you make a signal. This is the signal we had whenever we would do this, our finger to the forehead, that's a training zone. They get a treat. And now they know for the next few, several minutes that they're going to do behaviors and get rewarded for it. So I now have a technique based on that, uh, which is called genie in the bottle. Did we do genie in the bottle last time? I don't think so. Okay. So genie in the bottle is what we know that what men need most is testosterone, right? And that's success. And what women need most is respect and feel like you care. Someone doing something for her. Whenever she can depend on someone, estrogen goes up. When a woman can ask for help and anticipate getting it, always her estrogen goes up. When a man has a job to do and he anticipates success, his testosterone goes up. So genie in the bottle is a 20 minute training session. We call it a game. 
but where she is going to rub the genie and he's going to do whatever she requests. And so the way she rubs the genie, the bottle for the genie to come out is she has to ask him to do something. So for 20 minutes, she's not allowed to do anything for herself except ask him to do things for her. And the objective is to do as many things possible in a 20 minute window. She doesn't ask for anything that would go beyond that window. Like you should always remember to turn out the lights <laughs> or you should always do this and you should never do that. It's not, it's something he can actually physically do for her in that 20 minute zone. So it'd be like, well, uh, so my genie, I'd like you to clean off that shelf or clean out that closet. Or I'd like you to run upstairs and get the lavender oil and give me a foot massage. And genie goes, absolutely. So happy to do it. Your wish is my command. And you playfully do this. And this is where faking it is going to work really well for both. Okay. We're back on the fake it thing. Because when men do an action, even if they don't feel like I want to do this action, if you do the action and somebody rewards you for it, then you go, yep, I did that. You see, you get, you get your payment and then you're happy about what you did. You don't complain about it. You let it go. So we actually open our hearts by doing things that would be loving even if we don't feel loving, but when somebody appreciates us, then we feel the love that will naturally inspire us to do that again. So to, to know loving behaviors is really, really important for men because when you do those things, you're faking it till you make it. You're actually faking it till you get a reward. If you don't get a reward, you will, you will get worse. Okay. Now for women, if they fake it till they make it, if they, if they're feeling not loved, they'll do something for you. And, 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 fake it like, okay, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to do this for you. And you go, oh, thank you so much for doing that for me. Her estrogen didn't go up. Okay. What women need to fake until they make it is in the category of, oh, that was so helpful. Oh, thank you. But then they need to ask for help. And even if they believe you're not going to help them. Okay. (laughs) Are they, even if they believe you don't really want to do this, or maybe she believes you're only doing this because we're playing this game, but you don't really want to do this. So you can still put that to the side and simply ask for help. And when you get help, the hormone estrogen will come up and then you don't have to fake it anymore. And when men do those things, their testosterone goes up because they're anticipating getting that appreciation for it. So literally it breaks through all the the resistance that we have to opening ourselves up to our partner simply by these actions of her asking and him providing, her asking and him providing things that he can easily do within that 20 minutes. And the skillfulness of this game is to recognize as many little requests that she makes, the more estrogen gets produced. If she just did one, like clean up the kitchen, I'm going to sit and watch TV. Would you turn on the TV? So he turns on the TV and she sits on the couch and he watches the dishes. Well, he got one point of estrogen for turning on the TV and he got one point of estrogen for cleaning up the kitchen as opposed to many, many little requests. Okay, well, would you dry the dishes? Okay, now would you clean out that cabinet? Would you give me this? You know, couples have all their different wishes and needs. You know, one, it could be, would you make me orange juice? Would you make me a salad? Would you cut the tomatoes for me? You know, this is like, now I would like you to do this. Make a salad, you know, cut the tomatoes. Just tell him what to do. You get to, you get to be his boss and he has no problem being bossed around because it's only 20 minutes and everything he does is being acknowledged and appreciated. You see, one of the reasons men don't like being bossed around by women and feeling controlled is because women do it with an attitude of you should do that because I do so much for you. 
That's the whole thing. It's this whole thing. Well, she feels entitled to change you and get you to do things because she's constantly changing herself and doing things for you, which are both are bad behaviors. You know, she should do what she wants to do. And if she doesn't do what she wants to do, she should recognize that I should only make sacrifices if I feel I'm getting enough to compensate for it. Not that I'm doing it. I'm going to get it in the future. Men, it's okay. I'll do this and I'll get it in the future. That's anticipation of getting my reward. And that's healthy for men. Women would see that as selfish. You mean you're doing this because you want my love? I go, yeah, I'm doing this because I want your, your love. But also I'm doing it because I love you. But when you give me love, then I'll do it more because I need love too. I need appreciation. But if women do things to get appreciation, it doesn't raise their estrogen. They're usually, what women need to do is give and do things because they've received, because they appreciate what they've received. Now give from the place of appreciation. We give to get appreciation. And that's healthy. That's testosterone producing. You know, I, I go on Facebook because I want to help more people and have them write their little notes and they're saying everything that they like. Oh, it's been really fun to have people all around the world giving their comments. Because uh, for me, I teach around the world, but I don't always hear everybody's little comments, you know, what they learn, what they got and so yeah. forth. So that's a, 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 a really fun thing for me to get that feedback. It gives me so much energy. It's amazing. Oh my gosh, that's such a great service. So we got to totally plug that. Get on there, listeners. Join John Gray on Facebook every day with a, a new different topic. And, and write uh, me notes and write me notes. <laughs> and write those. Is it the live, uh, the live comments streaming down the side? Yeah, yeah those are fun. Yeah, you can respond yeah. to them and everything. Yeah, yeah it's really responsive. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for promoting that. Yeah, Appreciate thank it. you so much. It's just always a pleasure. These, these insights are so memorable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm touched by that very first thing you said that, you know, going through that grieving process and, and reflecting on how you could have done better. And I think for all of us listening and everybody in, in real life right now, man, we got to take that and run with it because we, you know, we got to do the best we can. Life is precious every single day. No excuses, no getting stuck. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. It's, you know, you are just as inspiring to me as I'm sure I am to you. It's just, it's such a delight to be with you. Your, your summaries, your comments, they, I walk away with them and they'll be very helpful for me. I, I appreciate that a lot. John Gray, everybody. Thanks a lot. Da, 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 da. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you appreciated John's message as much as I did. I'll tell you, right out of the gate, I started to get emotional. It's just so heavy when he's talking about the grieving process after losing his wife and not being able to sleep well at night because he's processing, thinking of ways that he could have been better in the relationship, and now it's gone forever. I mean, if we can't take that forward and live that every single day in real time, I don't know. It's pretty powerful, and I know I'll never forget it. So let's be the best we can be, bring our best selves to the table rather than bringing out the worst in ourselves. That happens so many times when we're in conflict. And go check out John on Facebook every single day. He's cranking out content. He has a live seminar where you can ask him questions and he's covering the different topics that he mentioned. So, oh man, what a show. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. Good luck. 
thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves because they need to. Thanks for doing it.